Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth, Heresies, and Hearsay, Episode 14, Rock Around the Roundtable. I'm not doing a book review this week, as this episode might be a tad longer than most. We're going to lighten up the narrative ever so slightly, heavy on the myth and hearsay, with just a dash of heresy. Few stories, whether myth or historical, have been as enduring as the legacies of Arthur. Both mythological and historical, because they happened not in the Middle Ages, as some people think, but in the Dark Ages. Dark, not because these were particularly bad times or because the sun didn't shine all that much, but because so few manuscripts have survived of this time and thus are relegated to myth. So let's digress a bit and set the stage. The British Isles had been part of the Roman Empire for over four centuries. At this time, with the empire declining and thus contracting, thousands of big hairy barbarian pagan types began to stream into the area by the thousands. By now, the Romanized Celtic Britons phoned home for help, but the empire could do nothing to help their extreme northwest part of this now declining empire. So the Brits were on their own. So they elected a 15-year-old boy to take charge of their war effort. Yeah, sounds like a great idea. I am brimming with confidence that we can push those big Harrys back to the sea. But this was no ordinary boy. Ambrosius Aurelius, better known in this story as Arthur. His genius was knowing how to choose a battle site to his advantage and get the enemy to engage there. Through a series of 12 famous battles, he routed the Saxons, so badly mauling them that they ceased to be a threat for over two generations. Looking back, it seems so academic to us living now. After all, these same Saxons did in fact overrun the island and take control at a later date. So was it really that big of a deal? Well, I imagine it would be if you lived there and then and didn't have to worry about being raped, pillaged, and plundered for the foreseeable future. I'm sure they felt all is well in the world. We don't need those stinking Romans. We've got our boy Wonder. By then he would have become a man and large in stature. A nickname as the Malay, or Hammerer, tells us, much. Malay was usually a large man on horseback with a large mallet type of blunt instrument swinging to and fro, crushing the heads of his enemies. Delightful. Although it does seem like an awfully cumbersome weapon. I prefer an Uzi or an AK-47 myself, although I don't think there is creative license enough to make that happen for our story. This is a good place to bring up creative license, as there is nowhere I can think of that has more creative license been given than to our next character, that being Merlin. If Arthur, as the central character, was Captain Kirk, 
Merlin would definitely be our Mr. Spock. More written about Merlin than any of the other characters. Initially, I had become somewhat irritated by the amount of creative licensing going on in not just the writings coming out of the Middle Ages, but especially in our popular culture and imaginings today. The one that got me thinking about, this was a series on cable aptly called Merlin. In this bit of gibberish, Merlin and Arthur are about the same age, and not all that close in the beginning, as though they had gone to the same high school together but didn't hang out. Arthur was the star quarterback, and Merlin was a nerd, but discovered in their middle to late 20s that they did have some things in common and became rock-rolling good friends. Rubbish. Merlin was a father figure and mentor to Arthur. And by the way, Merlin was not really the man's name, but more of a job title. We'll get back to that in a bit. The other one that got me going for a while was Arthur the Winter King on Netflix. The sets are great in this one, as though you had been transported in the past. The thing that got me going on this one was that Merlin was a pagan advisor to Arthur's father, and thus to Arthur as well. Arthur was also an illegitimate son to Uther Pendragon, to put some spice in the story. It would have been a time when Christianity was taking over, but there would have been many of the old religion in society and in court as well. I couldn't see my way to think Merlin, a pagan, would have been advising a Christian king until I did a little more research on the subject. Much of the Arthurian legends come from Geoffrey of Monmouth's work in the 1100s. With scant histories to lean on, he often filled in the blanks, as someone might, for the sake of the story. Some of the legends of Merlin include wizardry, sorcery. One story even has him as an incubus. The myth of an incubus is a half-human spawned by a demon who seduces young women in their sleep. Hmm. So lots of room for creative licensing where Merlin is concerned, and I believe I have to give our modern movies and culture a pass. Just don't say Merlin was a nerd at the same high school that Arthur went to. I do, however, have a strong candidate for a historical Merlin. Some of the manuscripts describe Merlin as a warrior priest. In those days, priests didn't just walk around saying, peace be with you. There are many of the warrior-priest variety in history. You can find one in HBO's Vikings. I believe it's episode 7. There were warrior-priests who often took part and or helped plan and advise their king or war chief. There was a warrior-priest in those days. His name was Dreifrig. Hope I got that one right. Dreifrig was described as precocious and brilliant in his younger days 
and the wisest of sages when he was mature. It is said he did have a workshop, as any self-respecting wizard would have. But what seals it for me is that the story goes that he was the one who crowned Arthur king. His Latinized name he is better known to be Dupricius. One interesting story is when there was a big gathering at the castle at Camelot, as knights and nobles were arriving in a torrent of relentless rain, the lights of the castle, normally torch lights, they were all astonished that the rain did not extinguish the lights. So did Merlin slash Dreyfudig slash Depricius have a ready-vac solar generator tucked away in the basement? Not sure what kind of technology we're talking about here, it was a long time ago. Archaeologists did find working batteries in ancient Egypt. So who knows? A third character in these legends who gets almost as much press is, of course, Lancelot. Lancelot was a late addition to the story, and some wonder if he is fictional. I tend to think not. That is, that he did exist. First, his name was Francicized. No, that wasn't what his name is. That is what the Franks did to his name. The last letter in Lancelot would be silent in the French language, as well as the first letter, which would make it pronounced as Ancelus or Angus, which sounds a lot more Celtic. The one story I like is that Lancelot, or Angus, when he was young, beat his teacher to death because this teacher beat his dog. I get three things out of this story. One, that he probably had a terrible temper. Two, they loved their dogs back then as we do today. And three, and probably most important, in an age where most were not educated or literate, he had a private instructor into his teenage years, which tells us he was brought up in a well-to-do noble family of some kind. It was said that Lancelot would get so worked up during battle, like a berserker, that he would begin hacking even friendly fighters. So everyone knew not to get too close to him right away after the battle was over. Then there was the tale early in Arthur's reign when Arthur was still considered a minor king and got himself in a war with the Delriadan High King. The Delriadans were the power in Ireland then. There were kings in Ireland and then there was the High King, i.e. Big Kahuna. The war was not going well for Arthur until the High King witnessed Lancelot's methodical rage, and when told that Lancelot was from his country, the High King made peace with Arthur. So this adds another layer to our story. One of the ways a peace agreement is sealed is for a king to offer a daughter in a deal cementing bloodlines and hopefully preventing further warfare. Could this be Guinevere's entrance?
If so, this would explain the bond between Lancelot and Guinevere, in that they were from the same country. I know what you're thinking. Wasn't Lancelot and Guinevere in a love triangle with Arthur? That one is purely an invention of Robert de Boron, who picked up the story from Geoffrey of Monmouth. You know those crazy French, they love their juicy, scandalous stories of betrayal. Actually, Guinevere was quite a bit older than Lancelot, if not a motherly, at least an older sister type. There are stories of Lancelot opposing Arthur on more than one occasion over what he perceived as Arthur's less than respectful treatment of Guinevere. And this is probably where the stories of an affair came from. We all know a little about Arthur's downfall. It goes that beautiful Morgan Le Fay, a student of Merlin's and half-sister of Arthur, seduced Arthur unbeknownst to him. Unbeknownst that she was his half-sister, I'm pretty sure he knew that she seduced him. There may be some truth to this or not. What isn't widely known is that later in his reign, Arthur may have had bigger plans. He may have had visions of conquest or just a preemptive strike. The text says that he took a well-equipped army onto the continent to do war with the Romans and Saxons. And if you're thinking like I was, that, wait, the Roman Empire had already fallen. Consider for a moment there weren't any social media or even newspapers. So it would have been unclear to most that the empire had fallen. There was still a very powerful eastern part of the empire that may well put the pieces back together again. It makes sense that he would have been going after the Saxons, perhaps hearing the rumblings that they were gearing up for another stab at the island. This war on the continent had been going very well for Arthur, and then he got the worst news possible. Back home there had been a battle, and the enemies of Arthur, led possibly by his son, Modred, had completely routed his forces. And worst of all, his best man, Lancelot, had been killed. Further evidence of Lancelot being from a different country, it seems, Arthur was under a treaty agreement to retrieve Lancelot's body and return it to his country, as evidenced by Arthur leaving his war on the continent to do so. This meant fighting his way back to the scene, which put him at a disadvantage, not being able to choose his battlefields, thus robbing him of much of his genius. Fighting his way back in a series of minor skirmishes, taking casualties as he went, he did manage to retrieve Lancelot. His weakened forces now took on a determined enemy in a winner-take-all battle. Much carnage on both sides. The myth says that Arthur was killed by his estranged son, Motred. Seems like one of those stories where you wonder what could have been. Within about 50 years, the Saxons spilled in and began to control the island. This is the part when I say, and the rest is history. 
But suffice to say, lots of myth and hearsay, and just a dash of heresy. And we leave it at that. Thanks so much for the listen. Myth, heresies, and hearsay at gmail.com. Thank you.